Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We're in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number one. And I briefly mentioned a few things last week. Um, But today I want to share a message with you entitled, Late to the Conversation. Late to the Conversation. Um, I want you to do something that I know all of you wish pastors would stop doing, but since I'm I'm here and I have the microphone, I'm going to make you do it anyways. Uh, I want you to just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you're late to the conversation. Just go ahead and do that right now. You're late to the conversation. You can shake your head disapprovingly and be like, Please catch up, all right? I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting um, where you've been discussing a specific situation um, or a specific issue, maybe for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes, um, and after having kind of analyzed the problem and discussed different viewpoints and, and already perhaps arrived at some conclusions and made some decisions about how to handle the situation, all of a sudden there's always that one employee that can never be on time for anything that like busts into the door and is always like, hey, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry I'm late, guys. Um, traffic was a nightmare, right? It's like always everybody else gets through traffic, but they are always stuck in traffic. Or I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I, my alarm didn't go off, or, or I couldn't find my keys. And, and, and sometimes those excuses are true, but more often they're not. That's not really the reason. And you get people that are serial latecomers. Um, they're just procrastinators. You know, they, if they were honest, they were like, I'm so sorry I'm late for this meeting, but I just couldn't leave, you know, the series I'm watching on Netflix was right at this critical point, and actually, you know, I couldn't leave and be in, on time for this meeting. That's what they would probably say if they were being honest. Um, and so people get better and better at their excuses if they're serial latecomers. And I remember when I worked for a, a Christian publication, it was a magazine, and we had a, a graphic designer that was, in, he was genius, he was an incredible designer, incredibly creative guy, but he was a serial latecomer. He came late to every meeting. And, um, and, you know, his excuses kind of, he came up with some great ones. And I thought I would, I just remembered as I was preparing this message, one of his excuses that I thought I would uh, share with you, and perhaps for some of you latecomers, um, it's one that you could use this week coming up. Um, his tactic was when he arrived late, I remember one day he arrived late, and our publisher, our boss said to him, hey, why are you late? And he just kind of looked down and he said, I don't even like golf. And that's all he said. And then he stayed silent and he just looked at us all and it went quiet for a while. And our boss was like, all right, let's move on. You know, so I don't know what you call that, but just totally random statement. Maybe that'll work if you're one of those serial latecomers. The problem, however, with, uh, with people that arrive late to these meetings is that, you know, once they're there, they want to start contributing to a conversation that has already progressed. And now they're contributing without context. Now they're giving input without the insight. They don't know what has been said before, and they're, they're coming from an uneducated, uninformed place, trying to make contributions and make statements and argue points and positions, asking questions in complete ignorance of what has already been discussed before they arrived. I remember joining a church staff years ago, 
And uh, it was a big boardroom, and all the area directors were there. The lead pastor was there. His wife was there, the associate pastor. Um, I think Will was actually at the table as well. And I was brand new. First day, new church. I'd only been to one Sunday before I joined the church. And, and I came in. I was excited about the opportunity. I was excited to be able to contribute. Um, and I came in, and, and I realized going into this that I don't know how they do church. I'd been a part of another church before, and you know, every, every setup has its own culture and its own way that they do things. And, uh, and I came in and I knew beforehand that I should probably just stay quiet for a little bit and just, just kind of pick up how they do things and pick up some of the context before I start volunteering information or suggestions or whatever it is. But, you know, this is just kind of my personality that I, I couldn't help myself. So in the meeting they were bringing, I was like, is it okay? And I was like, you know what, I'm going to share. And I just start sharing something and they would have to pause the entire meeting and somebody would have, have to explain to me first kind of what's happened in the past and how we got to this point and what the context is and how we do things here. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. No, I get it. And it wouldn't be five minutes before I'd make another suggestion and they'd have to stop the whole meeting and explain everything to me. And, and eventually the associate pastor took me aside after the meeting and he was like, let me just tell you how things work. Yeah, you know, it's like, please don't do that again. And, um, and uh, I remember Will was there that time and and, and, you know, when somebody does this, when they come into a meeting like this and they're uninformed, um, it's like you just want to tell them, hey, can you just shut up for a little while, right? Can you just sit and just listen and just catch up to what's going on, just figure out how we do things? And then eventually, once you've caught up with everything, you are welcome to contribute. I'm sure that's what Will and my other new co-workers at the time were thinking about me on that first day. Um, last week, we looked briefly at the opening chapter of Jeremiah, how God calls Jeremiah. And uh, I wanted to just take one verse that we mentioned last week in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. And I just want to look at just specifically how God, we can put the full verse up there, not just that first point. Um, but I want to look specifically at how God calls Jeremiah and what he says to them and how this is applicable to our own identities and how we approach God and how we approach the way that we live our lives. Because in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now there are three main things in this scripture that God is saying to Jeremiah that I believe God is still saying to us today. Things that God speaks into our identity, into our calling, into what He wants to do through our lives. And it is a clue. It is, it is something that unveils to us how we can truly pursue life at its best. What it means for us to live in that way. And so I'm going to look at these three things in our time together today. And the first thing that we see, God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, before I formed you, I knew you. Jeremiah was known. And the same is true for you today, that before you were born, before you took your first breath, before you had your first day in this life, God knew you. Psalm 139 tells us that our unformed substance was not hidden from God. He knew us. He ordained every one of our days before there was even one of them. God says to Jeremiah, before you were born, before you were, before you were alive, I knew you. God knew Jeremiah before Jeremiah knew anything about God. 
Before you knew anything about God, God knew everything about you. And this kind of flips the way that we approach our faith and the way that we approach God on its head a little bit. Because for so many people, our faith is a journey where we are the center of that journey, where everything is from our perspective. And so, so often we're looking at, at how we're discovering God and we're asking questions of God. And, and I'm on a journey of figuring God out and figuring out what I believe. And some of you may even have those questions today. You're at the center of your thoughts. You're at the center of your life. You're at the center of your, your faith. But what this shows us is that before you ever ask a question about God, God questioned everything about you. He searched out the depths of who you are before you had a single thought about Him. Before it crossed our minds that God might be important, God singled you out as important to Him. We are known by God before we know, before we know anything. Just think about that for a second. People run around in this life as if it's some sort of a puzzle that they've got to figure out and they've got to find all the pieces and they've got to put it all together and they've got to make something out of it. And we're all searching for meaning. We're all searching for, for truth. We're all searching for, for some sort of identity. Who am I in this world? Who am I supposed to be? Who am I trying to be? Who am I trying to convince others that I am? What perception am I creating? We're trying to figure life out. We're trying to discover our identity. And more often than not, most of us are trying to invent the identity we think fits us best. We're trying to be self-made men and women. But here's what I came to tell you today. We are late to the conversation. This is not a conversation that started the day that you were born. Your identity doesn't begin when you begin to understand yourself. Something was shared beforehand. There's an ongoing conversation that God has had with God like He did when He created Adam and Eve and He spoke within the Trinity and said, let us make man in our own image. There's a conversation that's been going on for millennia about who you are. And so many times we show up and we say, oh, this is who I wanna be and this is what I'm gonna pursue and this is what I'm gonna do with my life and, and this is what I wanna make of myself. And God's like, hey, 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 hey. You're late to this conversation. This is, there's something that's already been said about you. You know, we can meet people, so often people meet us here on a Sunday morning and they might meet, meet me or one of our team or maybe somebody meets you and, and, and we make quick assessments of who this person is. In the moment, you look at how they're dressed, you look at how they speak, you look at whether they're friendly or not. And, you know, you just take, make a quick, oh, this is who I assess the person to be. But how many of you know that if you were truly going to know somebody, it takes a lot more than a single interaction to find out who they are? There are layers that make us who we are. And those layers are developed through time and through history, through moments that have passed. 
If you really wanted to know who I am, you would have to look at my upbringing. You would have to look at my past. You'd have to look at, at, my, at who my parents are and what suburb I grew up in and what things I went through and, and where I studied and what I learned and what I've been through. You'd have to know a lot more about me and about my history in order to know me. But so many times when we evaluate who we are, looking in the mirror, we just look at the moment and that moment could be your entire life. You could assess your entire life. It's still not the full story. It's still not the whole picture. Because there's something that was said about you, that was decided about you, that was planned concerning you before you were even around to join the conversation. And it's ultimately what God says about you what he has designed you for. We don't invent ourselves, contrary to popular belief. The gospel of our age is to be self-made men, have self-confidence. Come on, you can do it. If you believe it, you can achieve it. That is the motto of our world. I was reading some stuff by G.K. Chesterton this week in his book called Orthodoxy, one of his early chapters. He says, only lunatics are completely self-confident. Only lunatics completely believe in themselves. It's a fallacy. You have to be nuts to think that way. We don't invent ourselves. We aren't our own creators. You are not your own idea. You were born into a world that existed before you. It's hard for us to imagine that sometimes because we think everything begins and ends with us, surely. You know, what did people do before we were alive? And what will they do when we're gone, poor souls? But you were born into a world that was already in motion at the time of your birth. You grow in a life that was provided for you. You interact with others in complex relationships with individuals that have destinies that are already in full swing. And you had no part in putting those things into motion. And so if we're going to live authentically, we must be aware that we are living in the middle of a story that began before us and will conclude long after us. It's a story written by someone else, a story written by God, the creator, the author of all things. I don't know if you've ever picked up a new hobby or a new interest and it's something that you instantly fell in love with. You became passionate about it overnight and, and, uh, and so you, you know, wherever you go, you're telling people about this new hobby that you have and how amazing it is and how it's changed your life and you know, you're, you're sharing information about it. You know, we're all my CrossFit people today. You know? How do you know somebody's doing CrossFit? They'll tell you. Okay, you don't have to ask. They'll tell you. They'll volunteer that info up front. Um, you know, if people get excited about it, then they, 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 they know very little, but they're passionate, and so they share it. And, and that's all fine and well. I've done that many times when I discover something new, and then I'm like evangelizing everybody to this newfound hobby that I have, um, except then when you meet somebody that's actually been doing it for a long time. You know, somebody that's, that's actually perhaps owns a CrossFit box or, you know, is a world champion at it and you've been sharing all this bits of information and then there comes a point where they just can't listen to it anymore and they start correcting your terminology and they start correcting your view of, of the history of whatever hobby it is. And in that moment, it's easy to really feel like a fool. 
you know, you're sitting at a bribe perhaps and you're telling everybody and somebody's like, yeah, I'm actually the world champion at that. And you're like, oh, cool. So, you, you know, you tell us about it, you know. Like, I'll, I'll hand over to you now. And you just kind of quieten down and, and, and listen to what they have to say because you realize that they know more about it than what you do. Well, that's what discovering your destiny is like. That's what it looks like to discover your destiny. How many of us go before God passionately going, oh God, I just discovered this thing about me and this is who I am and this is how I'm gonna make a difference. You know, I gotta laugh sometimes at the Christians like, I am the, I am the head and not the, the, the tail. I am the first and not, the, you know, then they go with this whole like little thing that they get from the Old Testament. They're like, and I am, I am, I am. And we go before God and we go, God, this is who I am and this is how I'm gonna live and I'm gonna change the world. And God, can you just get on board with my plans? And God's like, hey, just calm down for a second. I knew you before you knew yourself. I know better than what you know about who you are, who you are, and what your destiny is. I'm the one who invented you. I'm the one who gave you that destiny. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who put you together. I'm the one who's writing your story. You're late to this conversation. You're late to the discussion about your identity. I think we need to take a step back. We need to just shut up for a little bit sometimes. Just be still and know that I am God and let God tell you who you are before you start telling him who you think you are. This is how we discover true identity. So before you go on trying to create your own life and, and blaze your own trail and carve out your own path, why don't we just sit quietly for a while Anchor Church, and let God teach us about who we are supposed to be. Your identity doesn't begin when you begin to understand yourself. There's something previous to your thoughts, and that's what God thinks. And here's the beautiful thing. God invites us to come and sit at His feet. And it's not like He leaves us in the dark. He wants to inform you. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you into the person He created you to be. And as He speaks over us and we get the context and we get the understanding and we get the revelation, beyond the world's perceptions of us and our own perceptions of ourselves, we begin to understand, oh, this is who God made me to be. Like He did with Jeremiah. Over time, we gradually get to participate in the conversation. Now that we have the context, now that we have the right starting point, now that we know that what has gone before, we may venture a statement. We participate. We may even on occasion raise an objection. But before then, God invites us to sit at his feet and allow him to inform us of our identity. Before you were born, before you were formed, I knew you. The second thing that we see is that God has plans for Jeremiah. He doesn't just know who Jeremiah was before, but he knows why Jeremiah is who God created him to be. He has plans. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, that second part says, before you were born, I consecrated you. That word consecrated means set you apart for special use by God. 
And again, this is true of all of us. The New Testament tells us this in Ephesians 2 verse 10. It tells us, for you are his workmanship. He designed you, built you, put you together, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So many of us are trying to figure out what works we're supposed to be doing. Oh, what is my life about? What am I supposed to Hey, God's already planned it out beforehand. I don't know about you, but if I, if I can just be honest for a moment, that is liberating to me. I'm always worried that I'm gonna miss it. I'm always worried that I'm not gonna quite step into the thing that I was supposed to be doing because I was too busy with the other thing and I'm pursuing and pursuing and pursuing and God's like, hey, before you were even born, before you were formed, beforehand, I prepared good works for you that you should walk in them. God has got good plans for our lives and this means that your life is not just a series of circumstances that you happen to find yourself in, trying to make the best of the situation. You've been chosen from before the foundation of the earth for something important that God wants to do. And what is God doing? What is it that God wants to do? What is it that He wants to do in this city? What is it that He wants to do in this nation? What is it that He wants to do through this church and through your life? What's God busy doing? He's saving He's rescuing, he's delivering, he's helping, he's providing, he's blessing, he's healing, he's restoring. There is a spiritual battle that wages in our world and it wages constantly. And there is not a square foot of, in all of reality and in all of the physical universe that is not contested at all times between life and death. If you've lived one day in this world, you will know that our world is filled with pain. It's filled with hatred. It's filled with anger. It's filled with brokenness. And what is God doing in the midst of that? He's bringing hope. He's bringing life. And he's using us to do that. And so this is like being chosen for a side. I don't know if you were ever that kid. You all know that kid that I'm talking about when two captains get picked on a playground and a, and, and a game is about to unfold and, and everybody goes, okay, I'll pick so-and-so and okay, I'll pick so-and-so and I'll pick so-and-so. And I think all of us have had the opportunity, perhaps at least once, to be the last to be picked. And it's a terrible realization when the two captains start fighting over who doesn't want to pick you. Like, no, no, you guys have him. No, 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 it's fine. You take him, you take him, it's fine. You can have him. And you realize in that point, you're not even a zero. You're a less than a zero. You're a liability to the team. And so many times people approach their calling and you're like, I don't think I can be on God's team. Like, I don't think I want that pressure because I know myself and I know I'm a liability. Like, I'd, I'd rather just like skip the game altogether or just go and sit or play for the other, but I don't want to be on God's team. Surely he cannot call me. God picks the A team. Surely, surely he, kept, he picks the pastors. He picks the gifted people. He picks the passionate people. He picks the committed people. The loyal ones, the ones that won't fail. God won't pick me. We feel that way until we read Jeremiah 1.5 and so much of the rest of scripture that says, before you were even formed, I consecrated you. I chose you. So it's not about whether or not God is going to pick you for his team. It's that you've been picked. It's something that has already happened. It is previous to you. 
And in that context, you don't get to look around and to decide. People are like, oh, okay, so God wants me to do this with my life. Okay, okay, let me go home. I'll think about it, and I'll, I'll look around, and I'll decide whether or not I want to be chosen. Nobody gets to do that. You've been enlisted already. You've been picked. And all you can really do is either take up the life that God has chosen you for or treacherously defect from it. But nobody gets to say what I know so many of you have said. Just hold on for a minute there, God. I'm not quite ready. Right? Like, oh, you want me to do this? You want me to have an impact? You want me to reach out to my world? You want me to give myself away? Let me just sort out some of my things. And when I'm in a healthy space, I'll come back. And we have people say this to us as a church all the time. You know, we're a team here that builds this thing together, that pioneers together. And we have had countless people say, you know what? I'm not quite ready. I'm still working on myself. And when I feel like I've got it all together, I'll come. Sorry, you've been picked already. The game's begun. You don't get to sit on the sideline on this one. You've been enlisted. God decided you were good for what he wants to do before you even had a thought about whether or not you were ready. So before you were formed, I knew you, I consecrated you, I chose you for something important. The third thing that we see in that verse is that God appointed Jeremiah. He says in the, in the last part of that verse, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I want to focus on that word appointment, a divine appointment that God has. That word in the Hebrew is the word Nathan. And the word Nathan is a verb which means to give. In the passive, it means to be given, to be bestowed, to be given away, to be given up. So what God says to Jeremiah is, hey, Jeremiah, before you even knew that you existed, I knew you. I set you apart, I chose you, and I gave you away. I have given you as a gift to the nations. Before you even knew that you had a will or had a desire or had a preference, you were given in service of me for the sake of others, to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in this life. I've given you away, and that's what God does. That's who God is. He is a generous God. He is a God who gives. He didn't just give Jeremiah away. Most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3 verse 16, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the Bible also tells us that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So once again, Jesus was given before the world even began. God is a giving God, a generous God, a God that cares about others, that wants to bring healing, that wants to make a difference, that wants to help people. And so what he did in order to accomplish that is that he gave you away before you even existed. Before Jeremiah ever got it together, before any of us ever get to sort our mess out, we've already been given away. We're quick, I'm sure, Many of you have already done it in your hearts as I was speaking now to raise our objections. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Who, wait, how can God do that without my permission? 
Like, I'll decide, thank you very much, pastor, whether or not I will be given away. Like, can, can I have a say here? Can I, I have a few things that I think I'd like with my own life. How can, I, how can you come and tell me that before I even had a voice, God gave me away to something? God's response simply to Jeremiah and to us today is, sorry, I did it before you were even born. It's done. You're given away. Some things we get to choose in this life, but whether or not God will use us and give us a way to his purposes, we don't. All we can do is accept it and, ex and receive his grace for it and run wholeheartedly in it or live in defiance of it. And most people do. They live in defiance. And that is why this life is so very tiring. That is why almost every second person you meet is just utterly exhausted. Come on, it is halfway through January and we're already like, I need, I need a break, time out. Time out, everybody. The resistance is exhausting. The defiance, I'm gonna live life in, on my own terms, according to my own will, pursuing the things I think I want. Hey, we look so pathetic and so very tired and so very unfulfilled. Eugene Peterson says this, he said, giving is woven into the fabric of existence. If we try to live by getting instead of giving, we're going against the grain. It is like trying to go against the law of gravity. The consequence is bruises and broken bones. Why do we live in such a broken society, such a broken world, so many broken people? Because we're all pursuing our own thing because we're all late to the conversation and every guy and girl is out to figure himself out and, and make room for himself and, and, and invent or perhaps for some of you older people, reinvent themselves. And all we're left with is bruises and broken bones. Are there any bird watchers here today? That's the kind of thing that I'm not sure if anybody's really ever comfortable kind of admitting publicly, right? Because generally bird watchers are like kind of nerdy and, and weird. And, um, and, and so uh, the first time my wife and I went to the Kruger, which we love to do, we love doing um, some wildlife photography and, and, you know, photographing animals and birds and all that kind of stuff. And one day we were out and we, to get, we went on a game drive and we came back. And uh, when we got back, there was like a light drizzle. And all of a sudden, we realized that in the camp, there were all these amazing birds. In fact, I think we saw, if I remember correctly, 293 bird species on that trip in like one week. Um, and, so, and so we were going out, we were taking photos, and we are having fun, we were excited. At one point, there was a carmine bee eater that came into the camp, like in the midst of the tents. And if you know the bee eaters, they normally land on the same branch all the time. And so I was standing on one side um, on one end of the camp near the tents and there was a branch and the bee eater was landing there and my wife Lee went over to the branch on the other side and so the bird would fly over and I'd try to get a photo of it landing and, and then it would fly and I knew it was gonna, I'd be like, it's coming towards you! And she's like making, getting her camera, camera ready and, and then she would shout, hey, it's heading your way! And total nerds, absolute nerds, everybody watching, like, what are these guys doing? Um, and so anyway, so I can admit to you publicly today that we do enjoy some bird watching 
And, um, and I remember watching a documentary um, with my boys on what happens as the, the chicks grow, as the, the eggs hatch and the chicks grow. And there comes a moment in the development of every bird where the adult bird is ready for them to be out of the nest, to kick them out of the nest, to unceremoniously dump them into real life, right? That, that, that mother bird is like, hey, you guys have been freeloaders long enough, right? You're not contributing towards rent. I'm tired of flying around to fetch you food and to feed you. It's time for you to be out on your own. And if you've ever seen that or watched a documentary on it, you'll know that the mother usually does this quite without sentimentality, right? That's it, guys, time's up, you're out. And just ejects them. And they're like, but I don't know, I don't think I can fly, I don't, I've never done this, I'm so comfortable here, this is so great, you could just bring me food, we could just do this forever, and the mom's like, you're out. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that the mature bird knows something that the chicks do not yet know, that they can fly, that they can fly. And so many times the birds can raise their objections, but, but I have great feet, right? I could just walk everywhere. I don't need to fly. I could just stay here. I could walk around. Look at these talons. I can cling passionately to the branch. And that's what we do when God wants to give us away. He knows something that you don't know yet. Birds can walk. Birds can hold on to branches. But how many of you know that that is not the defining characteristic of a bird? The beauty of a bird, the grace of a bird, the reason why we admire the birds is, it, is because of the effortlessness with which they can fly. You weren't created to live this small life that you are pursuing, and I beg you to stop. It's not about you. It's not about your preference. It's not about what you think even about yourself. In one of those situations, one of those, those chicks that was being ejected from the nest held on for dear life until the mother bird started pecking at the feet. <laughs> no, you're going. And somewhere between the nest and the ground, that young bird discovered it could fly, that there was a grace on its life that it could do something miraculous in being able to fly, a characteristic action, life at its best. If you've ever seen a bird with a broken wing that can no longer fly, all of us consider it a tragedy, right? Oh, this bird should be soaring, but yet it's on the ground. And I think God's heart breaks when He looks at so much of the church and so many believers and goes, you should be soaring. I've given you a way to this incredibly miraculous thing. And you're just hopping around the ground. No, I'm okay just picking up the scraps. It's not what you've been intended for, church. It's not life at its best. Giving is what we do best. That's our flying, is to give. It's the action we were designed for before birth. We were given away to our families, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our enemies, to our nation. Our lives exist for others. 
The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. We're given away to the nations. And when we make life about us, when we try to cling to our own desires, we look so pathetic doing it. And instead of that, what God wants to do is that He wants to launch you into the life of faith, into the life of purpose, into the life of giving, to live by His grace and not by the tenacity with which you can cling to your own safety. This is what Jeremiah did when God ejected him, even though he felt he wasn't ready. And we'll look at some of those objections where he's like, I'm just not ready for this God. And God's like, you're going. He believed God. And in time we see a miraculous thing started to happen. He began to participate in the giving. He threw himself into God's purpose for his life. I wanna end by saying this today. The most important moment of your life, the most important thing about your life, the most critical moment upon which all of the rest of it hinges is not at some point in your upbringing. It's not at some point during your childhood. It's not some phase in your adolescence or something you discovered as you moved into adulthood. It's before all of that. The most important thing about you is what happened before you were born. You know what happened? God knew you. He chose you. He appointed you. That is the most critical thing about you. He knew us, therefore we're not here by accident. He chose us, therefore we have value. And He gave us, and therefore we must not please I plead with you, Anchor Church, be consumers. We're givers, not consumers. Last week I asked, how can we be excellent and live in excellence without making life all about ourselves? The answer is to know who you were before. To live out who God created you to be and not to live against it. You are known, you are chosen, and you are given away. And if we will trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not in our own understanding, and we will step out from beyond our safety and our preference and our comfort, we will discover that God's grace is there to make us fly, and we will begin to live life at its best. What do we do this week? Maybe we should talk a little less quieten ourselves before God, humble ourselves and say, Lord, teach me about who I am. You're the one who gets to determine the boundaries of my living, who I am and what I've been created to do. And as we discover this over time, as we journey, I believe God will lead us into things so miraculous. You'll look in the mirror and go, how is it possible that God could use someone like me to accomplish something like that? Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray? Let's just pray together. Let's just go before God. Father, we thank you this morning. And I, I just, 
I had that, this sense in the first service and I have that same sense right now that this is a moment for us, not just to end a sermon with a quick prayer and, and leave, but to actually come to a place of repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. It means to turn around. It means to go back to God. And, and, and I'm not talking about repentance because there's condemnation or because there's judgment or because there's fear. Ultimately, the word sin means to miss the mark. It's an archery term that means that we've missed what we were created to be. We're out of alignment. And I just feel like this is such a great opportunity for us to say, God, I want to be back in alignment. I want to come and sit at your feet. I'm sorry for telling you who I thought I was supposed to be and what you were supposed to do for me as a result. And instead, I humble myself before you and I say, Lord, have your way with me. Let's do that right now. In every heart, I can't do this for you. I can't do this for you. In every heart right now, God, I submit, I surrender, I humble myself. I'm sorry for trying to design my own life. I'm sorry for trying to invent myself and create myself and convince others of this person I'm trying to be. I just put all of that aside right now, God. I lay it down and I say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Will you teach me? Will you teach us about who you've created us to be? Will you show us the way that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in, the good works that you've called for us to do? Will you lead us in all of those things? Help us, Jesus, to be the people that you've designed us to be. We surrender ourselves. And as Isaiah said, when he lifted up his hand and he said, here I am, Lord, send me. We pray, God, that you will send us. We recognize that you've given us a way. And rather than defying it, living in rebellion to it, we say, here we are, Lord, send us. We thank you for giving us a way so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. We give you all the glory for that. Jesus, man.